Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Break out the bunting, the royal baby has arrived. RB3, as we're calling him until Kensington Palace discloses a name, was born Monday morning in London. And by early evening, Kate, aka Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, had emerged from the Lindo wing of St. Mary's Hospital in all her glossy glory. Welcome to Fashion Unzipped. I'm Emily Cronin. With me in the studio are Bethan Holt, Charlie Gowan Zeglinton, and Caroline Leeper. Today we're bringing you a special RB3 focused episode. But rather than just telling you about Kate's leaving outfit and why we think she wore red, we're going to take you behind the scenes of our royal coverage. If you've ever wondered why we follow the royal so intensely, how we prepare for major events like a royal baby or wedding, or how many people actually care about the Windsors, then this is the episode for you. And on the off chance that that doesn't sound completely fascinating, please stick with us anyway. Later in the episode, we're going to turn to everyone else's main topic of conversation, heat wave dressing, and then share some of our favorite listener emails. But first, RB3. Early yesterday morning, we received word that the Duchess had gone into the hospital in the early stages of labor, activating a long-standing coverage plan. It's no exaggeration to say that everything in the Telegraph newsroom went on hold as we worked on background stories and waited for news. On the fashion desk, that meant refreshing past coverage of Kate's glam squad and the art of the going-home look. But events really kicked into a higher gear when we heard that Kate would leave the hospital in early evening. Bethan, tell us about that moment. Yes, so unbelievably, I think it was less than seven hours after she had given birth to her little prince, um, the Duchess of Cambridge emerged onto the steps of the Lindo Wing, and she was wearing quite a surprising choice of outfit, I think. Um, In the past, when she's had this, you know, introducing the baby moment, she's opted for kind of lovely, beautiful nursery colours, you know, yellows and blues and all those things that you would associate with tiny, sweet children. But yesterday, it was it was a red dress that Kate wore, designed by Jenny Packham, who is her go-to designer and who designed the two dresses that she's worn previously when introducing George and Charlotte. Oh, my gosh, there are so many levels that you can read into this. I kind of, one of my sort of little hobbies is kind of reading into a royal outfit the way you might read into like a passage of a book or something, you know, and dissecting it and how many levels you can kind of get to. So what are some of the levels here? I mean, obviously, the, the, the top level is who else wore red on the steps of the Linda Wing? Uh, Diana. Yeah. Immedi- oh, yeah. Immediately, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, weirdly, Kate did this with George. So when she came out with George, she she was wearing a blue polka dot dress. Diana also wore a blue polka dot dress when William was born. When Diana left the Lindo wing with Prince Harry, she was wearing a red coat with a kind of white Peter Pan collar shirt dress underneath. Um, so there was that comparison to draw, which obviously everyone is kind of bemused by, but is also, I suppose, a sweet way of you know, what William's always talked about, kind of including Diana in this kind of new family that, that him and Case are creating. So you don't think there's any chance that it that it could be a coincidence that two out of her three leaving dresses mirrored Diana's? Do you know what? I thought with the first one, I was willing to give her benefit of the doubt. And I think, you know, it's a boy, it's blue. Polka dot is a classic, lovely, sweet print. Why wouldn't you do that? Fine. I think red is such an unusual colour to wear you know, when you've just had a baby and you're leaving hospital. I mean, obviously any colour is unusual in that scenario because most people would just be in like grey jogging bottoms. Red doesn't seem like the most obvious choice. So then you, But then you get into this sort of weird thing about the symbolism of red and how it's like a colour of power dressing. And, you know, now Kate and William have their, their three-child brood, you know, and is this a show of power? You know, look, the future of the royal family is secured for generations to come and look at us on the world stage. Also, it was St George's Day. On the day she gave birth, the colour of the St George's flag is red and white, so it was a red and white outfit. I mean, the possibilities are endless. It could also just be down to the fact that red's a very kind of brightening colour, I wear red when I am really tired, when I've got bags under my eyes, to just kind of liven up my complexion. It's kind of the same effect as adding red lipstick. um, And it just kind of hides a multitude of sins, I think. I think it's interesting as well. If that sounds like quite a lot of analysis on several different angles, which some people would say is just a dress. We get a lot of stick for that sometimes in the comments of people suggesting we're reading too much into things. But you've got to think about the strategy that has actually gone into that Lindo Wing moment. I mean, she's got her, is it her, is she her personal aide and her personal stylist, um, Natasha Archer, was down there like a shot the minute that she'd gone into labour, as was Amanda Cook Tucker, who is her kind of hairdresser. So the glam squad were ready and waiting in the wings. They were there the whole time. It's a very um, cleverly crafted moment. So it is completely feasible that they have considered all of these these things. There was nothing casual about it. And if you thought for a moment that maybe there might have been, all it took was looking at her footwear to see that that, that couldn't have been the case. I mean, she yeah. was wearing three, Eight, four inch. 85 millimeter Gianvito Rossi um, almond suede pumps. Should you, should you care? <laughs> yeah. One of my, one of my favourite things about yesterday was the actual other mothers who were emerging from the Lindo wing yeah. unexpectedly, not realising that there was a whole media circus outside and comparing what they were wearing, which was totally normal going home from hospital clothes, slippers, tracky bottoms, and then being confronted by this kind of scene as they opened the door and going, oh, that was, you know, quite an interesting parallel. I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this. I definitely didn't mention it in my piece that I wrote about what Kate was wearing. But I feel the podcast is maybe a good place to say that my immediate thought was also like Handmaid's Tale costume. (laughs) 
Oh, you went there. Yeah, I mean, there is something a bit like happy breeder about the whole thing. I don't know. I looked at her with this blown out hair and this lace collar and red dress and, of course, the heels. And I thought, wow, you're no friend of women, are you, Are you, Kate? Like, this is it's not that that we're all looking at her and thinking, "Ooh, I need to be like that. But there is some some kind of undercurrent of creating expectations for other new mothers that is unrealistic and I think potentially damaging. I think there's this really difficult tension with the royal family because on the one hand, they are trying to be like, just like the rest of us, you know, and talking about doing the school run or uh, their naughty children or in a more serious way about mental health issues that, that they might have experienced. But they are nothing like the rest of us. And it's moments like these that, that you really realise that. And yes, we, we can all have these discussions about, oh, doesn't Kate look fabulous? And But that's her role. You know, she's a future queen. She's she's a figurehead of, of the country. You know, whether you d- agree or disagree with that, that, that is what her job is going to be. And I mean, you only had to look at little Princess Charlotte giving her royal wave. I mean... You know, she's a toddler. She's at nursery. She's already being primed for this for yeah. this role that she's going to have. And obviously, it's extremely sweet and lovely. But let's not kid ourselves that these people are like the rest of us. That's right. And I don't think that the public would accept her being just like us. You know, can you imagine if this time she just kind of slumped out the side door in, you know, maternity leggings and, and like a stained T-shirt and a nursing bra? Obviously, that would be a scandal. And, and it would be letting the British people down. So, So really, it's... It's a very difficult position to be in. It's an incredibly privileged position to be in. It is not a normal position to be in, and we have to recognize that. No, I mean, there were people waiting, um, kind of the barriers at the Lindo Wing. I remember reading there were a couple of women who had flown over from America to be there. I don't know them. For the- <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people, people had come up from all over the country to be there at that moment when Kate comes out with her brand new baby and stands on those steps and to kind of join in that excitement. You know, our country does really get behind a royal occasion and it's the street parties. All of that kind of mood and that optimism is something we can all get excited about. And I do think when there's so much kind of going on politically that is very tumultuous and depressing and, you know, we're having to deal with that coming at us from all angles. And I think actually there's a lot to be said for just the kind of, yes, okay, a bit bizarre but kind of lovely just joy in this moment and that there's no political undercurrent here there's no negativity it's just what's Kate wearing and what's Princess Charlotte wearing yeah that that's a good point that this time around we did have another outfit to dissect I mean Princess Charlotte age three well nearly three three in a couple weeks has really emerged as a style guide for the toddler set and when she and Prince George showed up to meet their baby brother it ignited a search for the designer of her dress that I think took us about half an hour to, to solve, didn't it? Yeah, we went to all the usual suspects, all the designers who, who Kate has usually chosen for her kids, but she chose a new one this time, right? She did, and it reminded me of, um, I wrote about like the power of Princess Charlotte and, and royal kid style last year, um, and there was like a, like a Kate and what Kate's kids wore blogger who said, Every now and then they have what they call a UFO, an unidentified fashion object from Princess Charlotte. And, you know, there there are these little brands that any moment could just capitalize and, you know, issue a press release. But they don't out of restraint, out of respect. And this was um, 
a brand called Little Alice London, which is, of course, owned by one of Kate's old school friends. Who yeah. also went to uni with Pippa, I think. So the connections kept coming. I spent an extraordinary amount of time yesterday trying to ID the swaddle. Um, so <laughs> equally important, equally important to those people who love to know what brands the royals are dressing their children is the blanket. And, and that moment on the, the Lindo wing steps does cause um, that, that blanket to sell out. It was G.H. Hurt in the end um, that won the commission, if you will, yesterday. You tracked it down. That's really amazing. I tracked it down by its crochet patterns. I mean, a lace-edged baby swaddle, that is royal. This is the front line of uh, fashion journalism right here. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, but it it does matter. You know, this is an actual economic force. Uh, Princess Charlotte, there's there's a brand valuation consultancy called Brand Finance that forecasts that she would be worth nearly 3.2 billion pounds to the British economy over her lifetime. And Caroline, you found, you figured out what this new unnamed baby would be worth. Yeah, so he, before his first birthday, will have contributed 50 million, apparently, to the British economy. Um, That's which a lot is, of such swaddles. I know, it's extraordinary. It is, you know, it's just unfathomable, isn't it? They're saying, um, this same consultancy firm, Brand Finance, they're saying it's kind of a three-pronged effect. Um, one is sort of immediate souvenirs and, and sales of things like that that people get involved in. The other is kind of a feel-good halo effect that they have. So as Charlie was mentioning, um, you get this kind of um, just, yeah, just general kind of happier feeling amongst shoppers and everybody's spending a little bit more and celebrating um, and then the other one is the fashion effect. So obviously that moment on the Lindo Wing steps is the beginning of the, I mean, we saw Prince George effect is just a common phrase we use now, Princess Charlotte effect, whatever they call the new baby, the new baby effect began yesterday. Yeah, which is why we've been prepared for this for months now. We've had an on-call rota in case the Duchess happened to go into labor overnight or on a weekend. And Bethan, you've made sure that everyone was briefed on on our strategy at every stage. So just to ask the obvious question, why do we cover royal fashion so closely here? I think there's there's several reasons. The first reason, I suppose, is that the Telegraph as a kind of a publication is traditionally extremely favorable to the royal family and our traditional circle of readers love the royal family and they really want to follow what they're doing and they're absolute out-and-out monarchists. Um, So we need to cater to those readers. But there's numbers proof that this is what people want to read about as well. You know, pretty much every month, if there's been some kind of royal happening, whether it's, you know, the Duchess of Cambridge carrying out some sort of engagement and wearing a new kind of coat or Meghan Markle being in a photo shoot or Princess Charlotte wearing a new dress, that piece that we write about that will be our most read piece of content of that month, unless something completely extraordinary happens. Um, Yesterday, the overall Telegraph kind of live blog of what was happening received over a million page views. So, you know, it's something that people really, really do care about. And I guess it's hard because there's people who genuinely care about it and just love it. And there's people who would probably say to you, oh, you know, that's all so silly. But obviously they want to know the details. They want to know what the baby's called. They want to know what Kate was wearing. They want to see all the sweet pictures of the family. Wherever you're coming at it, I think 
there's there's definitely a deep level of interest it's fascinating and something that you know if you work on the fashion team at the telegraph you need to swat up on i have to admit like there's a certain thrill to you know being the first to id a dress or or to to get a unique quote or line of coverage that princess charlotte iding yesterday was a was a bun fight we were all on it everybody was going for it it was a very tense moment wasn't it where there were several moments where we thought we might have it and then we realized that the smocking of a of a daisy was not quite the same as as on Charlotte's dress. Everyone's dresses are not created equal. Yeah, now we know. Everyone loves it. People from other desks are getting involved. You know, people yeah. want to to help and to ID. It's the thrill of the chase. Royal women have always set a fashion agenda, and there's an an exhibition that's been on at Bath recently that's kind of looked at all these different queens and also Princess Margaret, and you know how their decisions have have shaped fashion. I think it's really changed firstly with Diana and then that baton has been picked up by Kate and now with Meghan that whereas before it might influence, you know, if a queen wore a higher neckline, uh, that might start to filter down into how women would dress. Never before have you actually been able to buy what they're wearing. Instead of wearing couture dresses and having a wardrobe completely custom made, Kate and Meghan are buying pieces online that you could actually pick up yourself or they're buying brands that we could access without having to go into, you know, a couture salon and be fitted. I think it's it's a very different level of access that we, we have now with these younger royals. And I think also, you know, for a younger audience, it's a more casual look. You know, you'll see Kate wearing jeans and wedges and, you know, what she'll just where to kind of go to the supermarket. And we've never really seen that before with royals. That access always used to be them, you know, perfectly quaffed in their royal apartment, sitting for an exclusive shoot with Hello or them at the races in a big hat. But we've never had access to these kind of off-duty looks before. Tiara versus Zara. (laughs) Do you know what, though? It's it's really interesting Charlie says that because when you look at the the pieces about royal style that, that we do... The ones that tend to to be really successful are where, you know, we talk about like, oh, is she making skinny jeans okay to wear out for dinner? Or, you know, is Meghan Markle bringing back the bootcut jean? It's all those things that we might actually wear. I mean, it's kind of that extreme between wearing the jeans or the kind of glittering tiara. Possibly by the time you listen to this, we will have a name for the royal baby. But for now, we can still speculate um, and one of the things that's, that people have said is that the third baby might be a chance for Will and Kate to go a little rogue and choose something unexpected. I mean, I don't know. I was hoping for Wallace if it was a girl, but that might be too crazy. It might be too unexpected. Mm. Yeah. I mean, could they go for a kind of a super trendy Xenia, maybe? No. Off the top of my head. <laughs> You've only got to look at the, you know, Peter Pan collars and cotton smock dresses which Kate is single-handedly resurrecting from you know fashions long since past to realize they're gonna stick traditional I think a baby Bertie little Albert that's so cute I like Frederick but I was reading um gosh this is the amount of detail that I have to research into um apparently in the Danish royal family every boy is either called Frederick or Christian so maybe another Frederick royal on the British side would just be a bit too much. The other thing about names is that if you have a third baby, you know, it's not born in a vacuum. You can't mm. 
you can't have George, Charlotte, and Milo. You know, no. you have to have a name that sounds right with the other ones. Says our expectant mother of her third baby. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, my kids so far have proposed <laughs> Unicorn Prince and Spike. So... I like Spike. Yeah, Spike's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I go with Spike. I don't know how they knew I was a Buffy fan. If you'd like to know more about RB3 or anything related to royal style, then hopefully by now you know where to look. Visit telegraph.co.uk slash fashion and please email any feedback and questions to unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. Moving on. Before yesterday, all that we could talk about on the fashion desk was the heat wave. We went from moaning about still needing coats in April to wearing linen dresses and sandals in 24 hours flat. Given the abrupt nature of the change in weather, it was difficult to know just what to wear. Um, How did you guys style out the heat wave? I'm the one who wore a linen dress and sandals. It was great. Hello toes for the first time in months. So glad I got that little anticipatory pedicure. I was not ready. So I'm quite glad it's gone cold again. Moved house, packed all my nail polish, was not ready, didn't have time for a pedicure. Hot feet. It's a real problem. <laughs> I wasn't ready for the for the hot bit and so quickly got all my summer stuff out. And then I wasn't ready for it to change back to being freezing again, like a day and a half later. And so now today I'm wearing a whole mixed bag of jumpers with sandals and it's just a bit of a mess. I have to say I didn't get, I find sandals a a very profound step. Um, (laughs) And so I I didn't get to that point. It's quite hard to go back once you've gone in. Yeah. What have you got on your feet today, Emily? I've just, oh, Emily. Oh, you know what? Actually, she's gone back. She's gone back. I wanted to wear sandals. This was a shirt. I'm wearing. I'm wearing like an embroidered peasant blouse type that's shirt. Lovely. That's that's a good in betweeny. Thank vibe. you. That that that's that's a Tibby special, um, and it was made to wear with like you know hippie sandals. And I actually had had them on. Well, had one on one foot this morning. and was like, it's 50 degrees out. I'm not going to wear sandals in a coat. So yeah, I've gone back. It's it's really variable this weather. But I will say, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I had like five minutes of absolutely loving the heat, like standing on the on the pavement and turning my face to the sun. And then I started to feel sweaty. And then I was like, thank God it'll be gone in a day or two. No, I loved it. I wanted it to stay longer. Didn't have enough time to wear all my dresses that I've bought over the winter. <sighs> well, you'll get at least five more days like that over the summer. Eek it out. I was still very much in lizard basking on a rock phase. Well, you're just very still. I do have a new balcony. Don't have any balcony furniture yet, though. So also would love to hear suggestions for balcony furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Please email them in because I really can't find anything. Somehow this is our 20th episode of Fashion Unzipped, and we thought that we'd celebrate the milestone by highlighting some listener emails from the past few weeks. Thank you to everyone who's taken the time to share your thoughts on the past episodes. We really do read and discuss each one, and they make us smile, including an email from Kate Stearns, who drew our attention to a new H&M campaign starring Winona Ryder and Elizabeth Olsen. I hadn't seen it until you emailed Kate, but I immediately watched it and rewatched it. And uh, for anyone else who hasn't seen it, which I imagine is most of you, this features Elizabeth Olsen and Winona Ryder and a cast of supermodels dancing in the streets of Buenos Aires, of course, in H&M clothing. It's definitely foot-tapping, and I agree, Kate, that it offers a, quote, sexy but also joyous and knowing, unquote, take on fashion. Kate said that she's yearning for the dialogue to shift towards celebration and appreciation of women and away from victimhood, that maybe Me Too has gotten us all a little bit away from from owning our femininity and, and celebrating it. So that's food for thought. And then we heard from Letty Cole, who highlighted the challenge of shopping responsibly on a budget and shared her love of charity shops. 
And I agree. I mean, the high cost of sustainable fashion or, or what we all too often refer to as investment pieces can be frustrating when you're on a budget. Charity shopping is a great solution. It just takes a long time. I mean, I would compare it to maybe to the search for a Princess Charlotte's dress. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's kind of a needle in a haystack, but there's nothing um, more rewarding. And also, um, now is a good time to start going to car beat sales because it's the time of year. It's light and bright and warm on a Sunday or a Saturday morning and you can go out and have a rummage and what are the best car boot sales for fashion because they're all known for different things well I don't my my references are quite London centric but Chiswick car boot sale is great in London oh and of course there's the fashion car boot sale coming up yeah in a couple weeks I think on May 12th Alex Eagle and the store uh, are co-hosting along with the Outnet and Women for Women International a charity car boot sale where you're going to be able to get total bargains from Fashion Insider's wardrobes and from the Outnet and from Vestiaire Collective and so many designers and, and brands and donors. I would say get there early and be prepared to strip off and try things on like that's, in the middle of the floor. That's a particularly chic car boot sale, isn't it? That's not realistic, but it is spring cleaning time and everyone's clearing out their wardrobes. So generally look for the neighborhood where women are the best dressed and have the deepest pockets and go to those charity shops. Because if everyone's just going to their local Oxfam with a bag of, you know, their their old clothes, then you want to be in the area where women have deep pockets, even if that's not the area where you live. Mm, you would think that, but it turns out that a lot of those stores, including Oxfam, don't keep the donations in the store where they're donated. Some of them do. Some, some of them do. I, there, is, them there do. is a warehouse situation, and some things do get kind of shipped off. But, you know, those infamous ones like Hampstead, Oxfam. Even look in the window when it's closed and you can see kind of great shoes and bags. Sign of a great charity shop is a well-merchandised window. Mm -hmm. Mm. If they've got got good stuff in the window, then... Because sometimes you just get an absolute mishmash, don't you, of weird puzzles, missing pieces. um, Mary Portis has got her chain of living and giving giving shops, shops, um, which I think are in locations across the UK. And they always have a lovely edit and everything just sort of smells nice and it's not so kind of fusty as some charity shops can be. And speaking of Princess Charlotte and the Princess Charlotte effect, I found that the best place to find beautiful kids wear is actually children's focused charity shops because... I didn't know there was such a thing. Mm, there's one actually in Primrose Hill, which is what made me think of it because there's also a Mary's Living and Giving shop there. It's a Farah kid shop, and they have all the clothes organized by size. So often those special occasion dresses, you know, the little smocked cotton dresses or the ones with the velvet bows in the back, only ever get worn two or three times before the child outgrows them. So it's, it's a great place to find pretty little things. We had another listener, Hannah, who asked what we thought about copies of designer pieces, and I thought that this was a great one to bring to the panel. So what do you think, guys? Are items that are inspired by high fashion acceptable or are they essentially evil, wicked fakes? Well, lots of designers have said that the mark of success for them is when they get copied. But I think that really only applies if you're kind of a huge designer and it's not really going to matter if there's a you know, a super cheap copy of something you've created for thousands of pounds because they're never going to have the same customer. Um, I think it becomes problematic when you know it's young designers or more unknown up-and-coming brands who are then copied by much bigger brands and designers and don't get the credit and don't get any of the money for it. That is bad. I think it's particularly happening with accessories at the minute. I mean, those new, are they Colt Gaia, the ones that are... The Colt Gaia bags, yeah. The Colt Gaia bags, 
um, are just being ripped off everywhere across the high street. I feel like you can get versions of them. And that's a small label. And I think that's a real shame for them because that's their... That's clearly a great design, you know. It's something that people obviously it's really resonating with people, and it's just a shame to see that they don't get the credit for that. There's actually an Instagram account called um, Diet Prada, which is calling out kind of a lot of these fakes um, with their posts and kind of sharing the originals and the homages, which go from kind of oh yeah, I can see that they've referenced that to are those even different things? And there are, I think it's five points of difference that a brand has to kind of establish to actually avoid being sued for kind of breach of um, copyright. But it's a bit of a contentious issue because the thing is, not many of us can actually afford to buy designer all of the time. And I do think with those smaller brands, yeah, completely agree, you know, they're just getting off the ground and they need all the support we can give them. On the other hand, you know, if I'm looking at my summer wardrobe and I'm thinking you know what, I can't afford those Hermes sandals, much as I want them. (laughs) You know, these beautiful tan leather sandals that Hermes does year after year. I've wanted them for 10 years. I still do not own them and I likely never will. But there are lots of good homages on the high street. And I am currently in the kind of decision-making stage where it's kind of, do I buy June's beautiful version which are kind of £90, I think, or 95 So, you know, not cheap, they're well-made. Or should I just steer clear and go for something completely different? You know, do I want to be seen in something that someone might say, oh, were they the Hermes ones? It also depends on the piece, because if it's something you're going to keep for years, by all means, you should invest, and you should try and buy the original if you can afford it. But if it's just a flash-in-the-pan trend that you're definitely not going to be wearing in three months' time, then it can feel like a waste. And, you know, we, we can't all afford to, to splash out on those purchases. Or going back to what we were discussing last week, maybe just don't buy it at all. If, well, if you know that you're not going to wear it in three months' time. I mean, I, with something like, you know, the, the sandals, I can see that that's a kind of a timeless thing. Where, But if it's something that you know that you desperately need right now, but in three months' time you won't be able to look at, then... Well, Caroline and I were on the tube this morning talking about this because, um, you know, we're both saying, what do we need for, for our new season wardrobes? Shoes. But the problem is we both walk to the station in the morning and, and back from the station in the evening. That's kind of half an hour round walk separately, mind you. Uh, we don't live together. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we should, it would be fun. But, you know, and then you've, you're walking between appointments and you're on your feet all day and you're at your desk. And actually, we're really hard on our shoes. And on the rare occasion that I have bought designer shoes, I've then been really sad that they're kind of, in a few months battered and it hasn't felt like a kind of wise way to spend my money whereas you know a bag or a jacket that I'll keep for years and years and years does feel like a a good investment. Well I mean another element of this whole debate is is of course um, provenance. One of the links that Hannah sent along with her question was a link to a duplicate which I guess is a polite way of saying fake copy of a Stella McCartney Falabella bag which is one of the Stella styles where you've got very distinct design. It's very distinctive. It's it's got a chain all the way around and like a shoulder chain. Stella McCartney is a famously, you know, vegetarian vegan designer, doesn't use any real leather, and this bag is designed as leather chain clutch. So, you know, if one of the things that you admire about a designer is is of course their ethical point of view, then don't buy something that that could be produced in unsavory conditions or by people who are, are poorly treated, mistreated, unpaid, underpaid, 
I think it's the line and it's if you a if you know and realize or not because some things are really generic designs and it, it might be diluted it might look completely different almost really by the time it gets to the high street but just sort of nod to something that somebody did on the catwalk somewhere maybe three seasons ago and that's fine I think because you're not you're not consciously copying but I think it's when you go get the look I'm gonna get the new Prada shoes for 15 quid or something and they're exactly the same or just really close and you're consciously doing that because you liked the other ones I think that's the line for me we do get so many emails every day about that by the way like like look here's an exact copy of it's like well why are you bragging about that that's yeah it's not uncreative because I want the Hermes shoes (laughs) they know I want them (laughs) oh well well I, I guess conclusion buy what you love and if what you love is just terribly out of reach then then find a young designer or a charity shop equivalent Just in case there was any question, I did check, and everyone whose name I've mentioned as having emailed was happy to be identified on the show. We can also maintain anonymity, so please write whether or not you want us to share your name or question. And again, that email is unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. It's time for us to go around the table and share what we're all excited about this week. Caroline, what's got you feeling happy? So for me, I'm going uh, with Marianne Jones, uh, who is our stellar editor. We're going to see Alexandra Shulman uh, speak tonight. Um, it's one of the SmartWorks charity events uh, that she's she's doing. So, uh, yeah, it would be great to hear sort of her stories from Vogue and her time there. Um, and also SmartWorks always throw a killer fashion sale. So I'm sure we'll uh, perhaps do a little bit of shopping while we're there. Oh, great. And is that open to the public? It is, yeah. Uh, although tickets are sold out for tonight's event, but they have, they're called Fashion Club Meetings and they have one every couple of months. They always have a different speaker um, and I think tickets are something like £25, but don't quote me on that. You can find out more and buy tickets to what will be their next events um, online. Their website is www.smartworks.org.uk. Um, and what the charity does is they're so they're so great, they're so clever. They basically get women back into employment through kind of a combination of styling sessions and interview coaching sessions. So every woman that kind of comes to them uh, has already got a job interview in place and then they kind of give them the training as well as the outfit to help them to nail the interview. And you wrote about SmartWorks in in an issue of Stella and, and you said it was quite a moving experience. I did and that's coming up on I think the 4th of May which is our workwear special so look out for that. Great plug, thank you. Charlie, what about you? Uh, well, I don't know if I've mentioned it, guys. The Moving House saga continues. No way. Uh, it's all I talk about. It's all I think about. It's certainly all I spend money on because I definitely can't afford to spend any money on clothes at the moment until I buy such necessities as Hoover and kettle and toaster. Um, so the exciting bit of that is kind of all the interior stuff. And this weekend I'm going to go to Crystal Palace Antiques Market if you're outside of London, you're better off because we pay a real premium on antiques here, especially the kind of mid-century kind, which is what I'm after. But I'm looking for a kind of mid-century sideboard. I've got this great kind of, it's an ochre yellow lamp base. Ochre is the brand. Um, and the, this handmade kind of marble paper lampshade by Rosie de Roig, who is this fantastic um, lampshade maker. And... It needs it needs a home, you know. It needs. Can I just say, space. it's not fancy, but I have found such great 
house bargains on Gumtree. And you can set your like your local distance settings and you know, you can decide how far you're willing to go to collect things and oh Charlie's grimacing on the other side of the table there. Well, I don't have a car, Emily, which which does make collections. Well, difficult. you can also find a man with a van on Gumtree. <laughs> like like not everything has to be new or fancy. I mean, some things you do want to be new and some things you would like to be fancy. Oh, but why, like that's why I'm antiquing. I'm I'm staying with the recycling theme. Very good, very good. Bethan, what about you? I have a new guilty TV pleasure, um, which is called Keeping Faith, and it's on iPlayer. It hasn't been on TV. Well, it was on S4C, which is the Welsh TV channel, um, and it's basically a kind of mystery series about a woman who lives in this utterly beautiful fictional town in in Wales and the opening scenes are her on like her first mum night out after she's had a baby she's got three children and her husband's kind of helping her into her dress and she comes home and she's had a few too many drinks and then the next morning her husband disappears um, and it's this kind of unfolding mystery about all these strange things that her husband's been up to while she's been on maternity leave and she's plunged back to going back to working as a barrister, which is the business they've got together. So she's kind of juggling three kids, being a barrister and looking for her mysteriously disappeared husband. And it's just great and really easy watching, um, but also kind of makes your mind work as well because you're kind of trying to piece together all the clues. So yeah, keeping faith on iPlayer. Great tip. So for me, it's a movie that's not out till August. Yesterday, I watched the full two and a half minute long Crazy Rich Asians trailer. Oh my um, God. Has anyone ever heard of this no. movie? This, okay. This is the summer romp you've been waiting for. <laughs> I sound like the trailer myself. Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, it's a book. So Kevin Kwan, a few years ago, wrote a book called Crazy Rich Asians, which was, was like the most talked about book of the summer. And it's all about the ultra, 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 ultra wealthy of Singapore and mainland China. And um, the plot revolves around, you know, the scion of one of these families, you know, described as the Prince William of Singapore, who takes his unsuspecting American, well, Chinese-American girlfriend home to meet his family. And hilarity and misunderstandings ensue. And it's a very stylish and, like, and fashion-aware book. It's actually a trilogy now. It's Crazy Rich Asians. I want to say more crazy irritations and, and something else like that. And they're all great. They're fabulous descriptions of, of, you know, women buying couture gowns in triplicate for their five-year-olds so that they have one for, for a London home, one for a New York home, and one for, for, you know, Singapore. And who knows how true it is. It's all supposed to be, like, based in actual experience. And the movie is going to be a big budget Glamorama. I can't wait till August 17th. I'm really excited about that. So you've got time now to check out those books from the library or add them to your Amazon queue and, and read them on your summer holiday and then go into the movie knowing all about Rachel Chu and Nick Young and the Shangs and the Changs and plastic surgery for fish and everything like that. So. Oh my God, it sounds mind-boggling. Relatable. Thank you so much for listening. Please check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.